Good afternoon, church. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you with us on this Father's Day. And let me be the latest to wish all the fathers a happy Father's Day. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for your sacrifice. Before we get into the message, I need to talk about some things. And I, I wish that I didn't have to talk about some things so often. Um, the Charleston, South Carolina situation, I, please pray for the, the families that lost loved ones there and um, ask for God's mercy and comfort to be with them. It's, it's horrible whenever anybody dies in a violent fashion like that. It's just unspeakably horrible. But that it's compounded that there may be an ethnic tension element to it only highlights why it's important for us to be who we are an ethnically diverse people that do more than just window dressing but really have some substance in our unity and um, I'm grateful for what God is doing uh, South Carolina is just two states below us and, and everybody you, you still you know Virginia is a southern state you, you know that you know? just FYI and what we're doing now could not have been done 50 years ago in fact, it was not done 50 years ago. Somebody was asking me, because of all the things that have come up recently, is it worse in America? It seems like ethnic tensions are just at a greater height than they've ever been. And I had to restrain myself from laughing. It, worse? Are you kidding me? It's bad, but this is the best of the worst. What I grew up in? Every day there was something noteworthy to tweet. I just didn't have an account. <laughs> Every day. Our house was egged and, and, and teepeed. Cars were destroyed in our driveway with sledgehammers and knives. Our, there was a cross burned in our neighborhood. And these were all things that were not prosecutable because nobody would do anything about it. It was, it was at least permissible, sometimes endorsed by the governing authorities. That we have a public outcry when something bad happens is better. So much better. I grew up where I broke the color barrier. My parents did in, in our neighborhood. I mean, it was all white. We were the first black people in a community of 15,000 folks in white suburban Kansas City, Kansas. And I broke the color barrier in my neighborhood, uh, excuse me, my elementary school. And you have no idea what I could have tweeted every day, every hour of every day. But we, we didn't have any technology. And now the technology is around, we just know more quicker. And there are less events, believe me, fewer events happening. And so it's bad. It's not good. We still have a long way to go. But I don't want anybody to panic and think somehow that race relations are on the downside in America. <laughs> it is so much better. So much better. And I am, I, I'm, I'm talking from my experience. I lived in the 60s. So much better. And the 60s were better than the 50s. And better than the 30s when my parents were born. So we're progressing. Having said that, it's still the best of the worst. 
So let's believe God that the Lord is going to do something special and have a sense of purpose that when you come to this church, it's more than just you hearing about something good from God. That you're here for, for a larger reason to display to the world that God knows how ethnic relations ought to work best. And when the people of God put to practice, put into practice that which we find in Scripture, His kingdom is seen in ways like it is not in other places. All right, turn with me over to the book of Genesis. <clears throat> Title of the message today is Father's Day, Catalytic Sons and Fathers. Catalytic Sons and Fathers. Our passage is Genesis 5, verse 21 through 24. Genesis 5, 21 through 24, and then again, 28 through 31. Genesis 5, 21 through 24, and then 30, 28 through 31. It says, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days, verse 23, of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Verse 28, Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Verse 30. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Lord, help us as we study. Here we've got a, a passage of scripture that is in the body of a larger chapter. And it is the account of the sons of Adam that came from the line of Seth. Now Adam and Eve, the first two people, had two sons at the very beginning. And we believe these sons were twins because every time it says that a child was born... If it was not a twin, it says, and she conceived again. But with Cain and Abel, it just says she conceived and bore a son and then bore another son. So we think they were twins. Cain killed Abel. The depression and discouragement that Adam and Eve had to go through as parents and just one generation of seeing the, the fruit of the curse had to be enormous. I don't know how they made it. I don't know. Especially Adam. We're homeless, we got kicked out of our house, and now our kids, one killed the other, and the, other, and the one who killed them is banished. They lost two sons in one day. Horrible. But God gave them another son. Now, when we see it says in the book of Genesis that somebody lived so long and then they had a son, it doesn't mean that they lived so long and that's the only son they had during that time in which they lived. These are just the most notable people that required some recording in history. There were probably many other sons and daughters that didn't do anything that required them to be listed in the Bible. Could have been wonderful folks, but yeah, they, these were the highlights of human history. And so there could have been hundreds of kids. These people lived 900 years. Hundreds of kids, hundreds. And uh, but, but we see here a pattern of, 
of them living so long and then having a child and then living beyond that and then dying. And then that child living so long, having a child living beyond that and then dying. And it's pretty normative. In fact, it almost is so redundant that you think, can I get to the good part, please? When is this going to stop? Now, this is bordered, in fact, preceded by a passage at the end of chapter 4 where it says, And Adam gave birth to Seth. And this son Seth became the generation in which, or the lineage through which, men began to call on the name of the Lord. So something happened in Seth's generation and then preceding after that where men began to be spiritual in their orientation once again. Cain's line, which was the other son of Adam that killed Abel, was banished. And they had children through that line, but there was no fellowship or communion or communication between the two. He was on the other side of what we would know as the known world back then. So Seth's, Seth's family line grew up a little bit differently. And Enoch happens to be the seventh generation from Adam. So it goes Adam, Seth, Enosh, Mahalalel, excuse me, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, and then um, Enoch. And Enoch is, is mentioned with different emphases. And whenever you see where it says the same thing over and over again about this person, then repeats it, just different dates and different names, and then repeats it in different dates and different names. And then all of a sudden, something jumps out, and it's unusual in the, in the monotony and redundancy of the statement. This is the writer and God trying to communicate something to you that you should not miss. Don't sleep on this passage. Something happened here, and I'm trying to get it to you. But he describes it in such a way that only the inquiring are going to get it. Everybody else is just going to get the print off the page. And so it's important that we understand the literary intent of the writer and what God is trying to communicate whenever you're reading your Bible. And this is why you need to read your Bible every day. So you get a feel for the literary intent of the writers. Understand where they were, to whom they were writing, and what God is trying to say. If you read it every once in a while, you'll never get to know the people who wrote it, nor the God who inspired it. But the more you get in it, the more you understand, oh, this breaks their pattern. What are they trying to communicate? And here we have Enoch. It says that Enoch walked in an uneventful way for 65 years. We have nothing to report. He just lived 65 years. Probably had other sons and daughters just like everybody else did. But he just lived. And then all, all of a sudden he had Methuselah. Now, for you to understand, I think, what God is trying to communicate through this passage, you have to understand how they named their children. There was no pressure on the parents to have a name for the child before they left the hospital. Zero. They just didn't think that was important. In fact, they named their children usually after their personality. So it took a while for them to figure out what their name would be. There was no hurry. They were living 900 years. <laughs> but that carried on. And so whether it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or they would name them through circumstances or something unique, such as Esau. When Esau came out, he was red and fuzzy with hair, and so they named him Esau, which meant red. There were characteristics that helped them define what the child would be. And if it wasn't some unusual circumstance that happened at their birth or something about their birth, then usually they waited till the personality evidenced what they should be called. Methuselah. 
Methuselah's name, the son of Enoch, means man of the dart. Man of the dart. There are those children that when you, you raise them and you do everything you, you possibly can, they still turn out prickly. <laughs> Their personality, every time somebody significantly touches him, the person who touches him winds up more hurt. This is the child that when you took the Home Depot paint stick and spanked their bottom, after you were done, they look back and said, you finished? You done? Anybody had a child like that? Ray, come on now. You, some of y'all had a couple of them. More than your share. That child, when you told them no, they said, no back. <laughs> they looked at you like you were out of your mind for trying to stop their disobedience. And we've had seven children, blessed with all seven. But some of them were a little prickly. They hurt to train. They hurt to raise. It pushed us to our limits intellectually to try to figure out what are we going to do with this one. They eat the same food every other child eats. They drink the same water. They say the same prayers. They got the same parents. Why aren't they the same? (laughs) You little prickly man of the dart. And I think this is why it says of of Enoch, Enoch walked, Enoch was 65 years old. He had a man in the dark, then he began to walk with God. (laughs) Your children are intended to be catalysts for you to find God in a special way, dads. You haven't figured out how to bend the knee yet. They will help you. They will help you pray. Help you fight God, because at some point you're going to say, "Ah, Lord, I don't know what to do with this one. I am beyond my skill set in this. Driving me up a wall. How do I do this? This one here, God. We don't know what's going on. We're raising a criminal, please. We're raising a criminal. Please help us, God. We don't want him to be in in the front page. We just want him to be normal. Please help us, oh God. Whether it's the difficult child or the easy child, your children are to be those catalysts that help you find God in a better way because you, I don't care whenever they come, you are not the parent they need yet. You're not. You're the parent they've got, but you're not the parent they need. They need a much better version of you. I tell my son, my oldest, Joseph, I just look at him every once in a while and say, sorry. (laughs) We didn't know what we were doing. We had no clue. We had no clue. We had no clue. You were our first. We thought we could figure it out. But you were a guinea pig. And we figured it out after you. (laughs) All the other children really benefited. But I'm sorry. It was us. I'm sorry. First time parents are clueless. Clueless. You don't have, have. You can read all the books you want. Talk to all the other parents you want. None of the books nor none of the parents have raised your child. Nor are they you raising your child. And so you got to find God because God created that little one. He knows how they should function. He knows how they're bent. 
He knows what they are called to do. And, and whether you have a Methuselah that hurts you when you try to raise him, just pains you, doesn't listen to you, makes you cry, disrespects you all the time, whether you have a Methuselah or you have a compliant one, raising children is more about you growing up than them. When you become a better parent, they become better kids. It doesn't mean that everything will take that you give them. But the environment that you create of your parenting goes a long way to helping your children become the kind of people that do not have to overcome your mistakes. And that's, that's about all parenting is, is making sure that they don't have to hurdle anything in us to find their destiny. They don't have to sidestep and go around our issues. And most of us didn't have the privilege. Most of us grew up with, with, with dads or moms that, that really didn't know what they were doing. They didn't teach us the Bible. They didn't train us in the way that we should go. They just parented like their parents did. And I applaud them. We're here. We're here. And so some of us need to get over all the pain. Of, and, and the blame of trying to figure out how come I didn't have better parents and then having a conversation I want to talk to you daddy we got to have a conversation about how you didn't do what you were supposed to do and how you did stuff that you weren't supposed to do and I'm really upset and you messed me up in my soul I just don't know how to relate and all of that find God I'm telling you and I'm not talking out of insensitivity I know there's pain but there, my dad was at the front of the line of dysfunction I love him dearly. All I wanted to do is be like him. He was my hero. But my dad was, you know, he was raised in the 30s and 40s. And he was parented by a dad who never would tolerate a moment where the son wanted to have a conversation about the father's misdeeds. That didn't happen. And so we never talked about what dad did wrong. Though there were so many things that my dad could have done better. So many. And please do not take my well-adjusted behavior <laughs> as being that which came from an environment that spawned biblical rightness. I should be a stat. There was nothing about my house that could ever be confused with being biblical. Except that my mother drug us to church. Nothing relationally was right. And I am being so kind. So my dad didn't like anything I was doing. Nothing. I mean, the ministry was abhorrent to him. And he was, he was hoping I'd become a dentist and take over his practice. And I was accepted to Meharry Medical School in Nashville, Tennessee. And I was going to do that. I was on that road. And, and then God called me. And I was supposed to go into ministry. And he was hot. He was so mad. I had disappointed him. And one day I came home to, for Christmas. And my, my brother had come home, younger brother. And he was at TCU playing football. And he had the misfortune of coming home with really poor grades his first semester. And so my dad was doubly mad. I was going to the ministry, and Bart, my brother, was now doing poorly in school. And, and I was mad at Bart because he was amplifying the moments of my dad's anger. <laughs> You're making him more mad at me. And so he sat there at the table. We were having lunch. And he, he turned to my brother, 
and said to my brother about me, look at him. He's nothing. He'll never amount to nothing. Don't come back like him. Now, that was my dad's inspiration to be great. <laughs> that was his version of telling me, you can be more, Brett. So that's what I had to deal with. And for all of you who are in pain because of what your parents weren't, I'm giving you some help. I said, God, help me parent my dad without accusing him every day of his life of what he did wrong or blaming him. He is a sinner. That's what sinners do. They hurt people and they mess up folks' lives. He's no different than anybody else. He came out of Adam. That's what sons of Adam do. The only reason I'm not like him is because you got me before I could mess up too bad. So make me great so I can help him. Help me to reconcile with my father. Help me to forgive him. Help me to love him like I should. And all of a sudden, the Lord just put a compassion in my soul because I sat with his dad on his deathbed. I led his dad to the Lord, my grandfather. And I sat there for two weeks talking to him about his life and going through the Bible. And, and after two weeks, I got it. I said, I know why my dad is. What, is my dad? He got it honestly because his dad was messed up. I had compassion on my dad. I said, I can be the first one that breaks the cycle. I can be the first one. Lord, help me. And God has done something amazing in my life. I am not who I am because I had good lineage. So my lineage, I am proud of. I am who I am because God saved me. Oh, my brain started to switch. Now I was trying to win my dad and love my dad and thank my dad for all that he was, even though he wasn't what he should have been. And so I created an album for him and it, it, it dedicated, I dedicated it to him. And it was songs on there that talked about how grateful I am for him. And, and he, he loved the idea of the album because he was a recording artist in the 50s. He had a couple of, had one, one number one and one number nine. And, and, and he listened to it. He said, who's that? I said, that's me. He said, I love you, Dad. And all of a sudden, the ice broke. Long story short, he came to live with me because he was terminally ill. Cared for him for three years. Cared for him like he cared for me when I was a baby. Picked him up because he couldn't walk. Carried him to his chemotherapy sessions. He had lung cancer. And it, it, was, it was quite a moment for two and a half, three years. And one day, we were sitting there watching a football game because that's what we did. And uh, watching the game, he looked at me and said, I guess it turned out all right, didn't it? No lead-in, no wrap-up, no context. We're watching a football game, and he's trying to get deep. So I'm sitting there. I'm watching the game. I thought, well, I need to see the replay. What happened? It worked out okay. What, what happened? They get the first out? And there was no replay, and I looked at him, and it was one of those father-son moments where you look at one another straight in the eye, and I realized what he was doing. See, dads don't sit down and have conversations in the 50s who were born in that era and say, let's dialogue about the pain I caused you. That didn't happen. They say this. Well, guess it worked out all right. Didn't it? <laughs> That's what they say. That's what they say. And then, son, you're supposed to get it. 
That means I love you. I'm proud of you. Thank you for caring for me. That means everything they should have said and they didn't know how to say it. And so I looked at my dad. I said, yeah, dad. I guess it did. So, you're going to kick a field goal or not? What do you think? Should they go for it on fourth down? That was the extent of our deep moment. You didn't do that. And I'm, 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 I've gone off script today to try to help you who want to blame your parents for everything. Abuse, pain, what you didn't get. Find God. Help. Let him help you get over it. So you... So you on this Father's Day don't have the clutter of offense that blocks you from being grateful. And you have a clear line back to your dad that says, thank you for letting me be here. It's enough that they gave you a relationship, an opportunity to have a relationship with God. It's enough. The Lord will heal you from all the rest. So here was Enoch trying to figure out how to make this happen. And he was, he was out of his mind. And he said, I don't know how to bring up this child. God help me. And he began to walk with the Lord. And as he walked with God, he went out to get the, the milk one day for his wife, and he just didn't come back. He just didn't come back. He just walked with God so well, he went to another level. And something about your life and your parenting ought to help you go to another level regularly. To, if you are at the same spot today, as you were yesterday, something's wrong. If your parenting is exercising the same skills today as it was last year, something's wrong. You ought to continually be going to another level in God because your parenting, your children ought to be a catalyst for you to find him better so that they can have a better parent a year from now than they got today. That's what Methuselah was to Enoch. And God just said, Enoch, you're so close to me, it makes no difference anymore. Just come on. Just come on with me. And I don't even understand that. I, I don't. I don't get it. Because it's not normative scripturally. It just it goes beyond all the things that God usually does when he lets people pass through. Nobody bypasses death. Not even Moses who had conversations with God face to face. I mean, that, 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 you God's buddy then. And God said, you're still going to die. But Enoch just, whew, gone. And something about you ought to be unrecognizable next year. Unrecognizable because the old you is gone. And he's taken you to a new place. And then we've got catalytic fathers. Lamech was quite a man. Now, let me set the stage. In his generation, a couple of things happened that were pretty, pretty monumental. At the age of 56, and you just do the numbers, you do the counting. At the age of 56... Adam died. Now, God said when, when you eat of this fruit in the garden, you're going to die. Adam died spiritually that day, but it took quite a while for the curse to have its effect on the physical body. And people lived 900 years. It wasn't because the years were shorter. I don't have a time to go into why in the world they lived longer, but it had a lot to do with this envelope of water that was around the earth and the sun's rays and all kind of stuff. But they lived long. And I imagine Adam was thinking, okay, I, I got judged because I, I, you know, I messed up and I got kicked out of my house. And, but after like year 600, you're thinking, maybe I ain't going to die like he said. 
700, 800 passes. They still give me, where you put the candles on the cake? I mean, it's, you just keep going. And then all of a sudden, this is the first person of record that the line of Seth has ever seen die. And it was the patriarch of all humanity. He died in 930 years, and that was 56 years into Lamech's life. 116 years into Lamech's life. Enoch, as I said, goes out to get the milk for the family, and he doesn't come home. He just doesn't come home. And so he's translated God to be with God. Two huge things. One, confirmation of the curse. Two, somebody who transcended the curse. And so we see Lamech here having insight into something about the curse, about which he says when he has Noah, somebody's got to fix this. Somebody's got to fix this. Now, the beauty is this. You can read the Bible from a spiritual perspective all the time and sometimes miss that not everybody in it was spiritual. Here we have Lamech, first prophet. Doesn't say thus says the Lord because I don't know he knows how to. But he doesn't just describe what Noah is in naming him. He describes what Noah will do. This one here, Brett's paraphrase, will begin to minister to the fixes that are necessary for us to overcome the curse. This one here, he will help us. He will give us rest concerning the toil and labor because the Lord God has cursed the ground. And the word rest is the word nemach, Hebrew, nemach, which means... It's better, it's more often translated sorrow or repentance or comfort rather than just rest. Now the writers, the, the interpreters of the New Testament into English do their best to try to give you context and use the best English word they can find. But you can't put them all in there to give the rounded out version of what the text is trying to create. And so literally, it's not just about rest as we know rest, but it's about how can we get relief from the curse? Noah, you're the one who is supposed to come and give us all help about how we can overcome this thing that has overcome our patriarch and the perspective that that Enoch had that took him to another realm. Help us, Noah. He prophesies. And Noah became the, the first minister in Scripture. We see in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, as Peter's dialoguing, or writing about how God judged and saved certain people. He said, if, if the Lord saved Lot, who was a righteous man in his generation, and righteous was relative compared to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and he spared him. And he, he allowed Noah to be spared, who was a preacher of righteousness. So here we see, in retrospect, Peter describing Noah's occupation. Now, he built the ark. But he was described as a preacher. This is what he did on a regular basis. Now, I don't know what it sounded like. I don't know what his message was. But I guarantee you, it had something like this in it. The boat's big enough, y'all. The boat's big enough, y'all. He don't want to kill folk. He created you. He doesn't want to kill folk. The boat's big enough. Just repent. Just stop living the way you're living. I'm building the boat. If you want a room, I can make that happen. I'm building the boat. Just, just repent. He was a preacher. And so Lamech did what others had not done. Prepared his son for his generation to enter into his destiny so he could have an impact on his generation. 
Lamech was catalytic to Noah's ministry and his destiny. Methuselah was catalytic to Enoch's purpose in God and finding the Lord. When we talk about Father's Day, every dad out here is a son. You can be catalytic to helping your parents find God. And this isn't just for, for, for boys, for males. Girls, ladies, women, you can be the same. Catalytic to helping your parents find God. Again, I know from experience. My grandfather I led to the Lord. My dad I led to the Lord. My mom I led to the Lord. My wife led my sister to the Lord. I led my brother to the Lord. All their kids have been led to the Lord. My kids have been led four generations. I know of which I speak. If you become what you should be, you can impact generations both directions. Both directions. May, may it be that kind of Father's Day for everybody here. That you honor those who have gone before you and have an impact on those coming after you. Let's pray.